And so, the Englishman decided that now was the time to allow his host to stage a dramatic recovery and claw back some of the considerable amount of money he had wagered and lost across the table in the past hour. Even though, as Julius well knew, Mr Onslow Nesbitt was a man who possibly carried more spending money in his wallet than most men earn in a year. Yet, so much did Julius Aubrey enjoy winning, as much as he hated losing, that for a moment he hesitated, allowing himself to wonder, albeit briefly, how he would feel if he let his host win back most of his money, only for the business proposition to founder, leaving him to go back to England empty-handed. As a matter of fact, he knew exactly how he would feel. Very foolish indeed. However, remembering exactly what was at stake and what the alternatives were, he regretfully buried any idea of walking away from the card table a winner and thought instead of the long game, beginning to apply his considerable card-playing skills to making it look as if his host was playing brilliantly and he himself was not losing quite deliberately. "'Congratulations, sir,' he said to Nesbitt, as the final cards were collected up with the losing chips. "'I think that was possibly the most dexterous series of hands played this evening.' "'Most kind of you, sir,' Nesbitt replied. "'Coming from someone who was providing an object lesson in how to play poker, "'I consider that the highest of compliments. "'But now, if you gentlemen are in agreement,' he added, "'stubbing out his cigar and pushing his chair back from the green bay's table, I think that if any of our marriages are to survive, we should perhaps show our faces once more in the ballroom. I am sorry Mrs. Nesbitt did not feel well enough to attend this quite splendid function, Aubrey remarked to his host as they re-entered the ballroom. Mrs. Nesbitt is rarely well enough to attend anything, Mr. Aubrey, Onslow Nesbitt growled, other than to herself. A shame, sir. You have my sympathies. Most kind of you, Mr. Aubrey, but I don't need them. I know plenty of other fine ladies who take to their beds for quite different reasons. I see your charming daughters are greatly in demand, Aubrey observed quickly, noting the three beautiful Nesbit girls being danced around the floor by three highly presentable young men. My girls are always in demand, Nesbit replied, selecting a fresh cigar from a box of Havanas brought to him by a servant. All except, alas, my poor Emmeline, Onslow Nesbitt nodded across the floor in the direction of his eldest daughter. Or rather, the eternal sitter, as her mother calls her. Still can't get her off your hands, eh, Onslow? A large, red-faced gentleman asked his host, adding a nudge for good measure. Still can't find a husband for her, eh? Maybe not, Horace, Onslow replied, lighting his cigar. But then perhaps that's preferable to seeing her hitched to that son of yours. I would say you lucky gentlemen are spoiled for choice over here, Aubrey remarked. In England today, any young man worth his salt would be charmed to consider taking a young lady with the looks, grace, and background of Miss Emmeline Nesbitt as a wife, I can assure you. Is that a fact, Mr. Aubrey? Onslow wondered, eyeing his guest. Is that a fact? In that case, perhaps you would be kind enough to take her back to England with you. Aubrey looked startled for a moment, and then amused. I am sure any man would be charmed to introduce Miss Nesbitt to English society, he said. Please do not hesitate on my account, 
Onslow Nesbitt was laughing. If you took Emmeline from us, you would also take with you the undying gratitude of the whole Nesbitt family, Mr. Aubrey. Seeing his host distracted by friends who had come up to greet him, the Englishman narrowed his eyes to peer through the throng of dancers at the young woman sitting alone on a chair, pulled up close to a pillar decorated with strands of ivy and handmade flowers. He quickly noted that she had a good figure and a fine head of hair, was dressed well, and sat with great poise and stillness. And as he watched her, it occurred to his mischievous mind that here were the makings of a coup that might well seal the deal. From her position on the sidelines, Emmeline had seen the party emerge from the smoking-room to stand surveying the dance. The orchestra was playing a tune that she particularly loved, but while her three beautiful and much sought-after younger sisters were getting their chance to show off their dancing skills on the floor, Emmeline had yet again found herself stationed on a gilt chair, her dance card unfilled, her composure belying the humiliation of being once more the only Nesbit girl not dancing. She held her dance card high in front of her face, pretending to consult it, as she took another glance at the party of gentlemen still standing at the end of the corridor that led to the smoking room.